Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week on Special Edition, we'll hear from Peg Ruddy from the Women's Resource Center. We'll also meet Desiree Natale and Tina Zukowski. They're with the Wright Center in Scranton. But first, we'll start off with Dr. Helen Boucher, the Chief of the Division of Geographic Medicine and Infectious Disease at Tufts Medical Center discussing COVID-19. Dr. Boucher, this whole pandemic has been quite, uh, I guess, unique is the only way to explain the only word I can think of at this particular moment. So what do you think that we're learning from the current pandemic? Are, I, I even hate to say it, is it possible that this could be an opening for others that might happen? So, Paula, Great questions, and I think we've learned a great deal already in the nine, ten months of the COVID epidemic, which is truly unprecedented, right? Nothing like this has been seen since 1918. And I think one of the biggest take-home messages, for me anyway, is that we need to focus on pandemic preparedness. We were not as prepared as we could have been, and many might say should have been, when COVID hit. And I very much hope that we'll learn from our experience this time and invest so that we're better prepared for the next epidemic, and there will be one. Exactly. Uh, you know, you mentioned 1918, even polio, which is still not totally eradicated around the world. Um, you know, a lot of people might think, well, we never had anything like this before, but we most certainly have. We have indeed. And, you know, it's very interesting how the human spirit forgets things that are difficult, right? We women forget childbirth, for example. But you know, all kidding aside, I think that a fair critique is that we might not have, have taken those lessons to heart and invested in the way that we need to, to be as prepared as we can be. So what do you think that now we are able to begin to prepare? Because again, there are still a lot of people who are saying it's not really that big of a deal. Well, you know, I... I I find that particularly um, heartbreaking when we look at the numbers of infected individuals in our country and the numbers of hospitalized patients, which are record-setting today, and the number of deaths, which are absolutely heartbreaking and and are preventable. 
So I think that uh, to be prepared, we want to focus on four areas. One is to deal with the known threats that we have before us. Antibiotic resistance has been with us for years and is very much with us now during COVID and is something we need to deal with. We need to develop our public health infrastructure so we have the tools and the people uh, with the expertise to deal with epidemics. We need to have access to medical care for everybody so that people can have care for their epidemic disease like COVID, as well as for their chronic diseases, for their heart disease, for their cancer, other chronic diseases. We need behavioral health. Uh, the impacts on mental health of all this isolation and quarantine are huge and I think will be with us for a long time. And then we need a national strategy for communication, for doing the kinds of things that you and I are doing right now, but to have a really army of you know, truth-telling, uh, credible people who can help inform the public as we learn during an epidemic. I think all these things together will make us better prepared uh, for the next epidemic when it arrives. And when and and you say when it arrives, which is also very interesting, because again we think about the things that have happened in the past, and I, I don't. Would the scientific medical community have had any more inroads? Because obviously they're learning from the past, moving ahead to the future. Uh, it just almost seemed like they were also caught off guard as well. Well, you know, there, there are a group of scientists and physicians who work in this area and who have been really uh, looking and waiting for an epidemic virus like an influenza, for example, you know, based on our knowledge from the old uh, influenza of 1918 and then other, other diseases that travel like SARS and MERS. So, so a number of people were waiting for this and surveillance is done around the world looking at viruses and how they, how they spread, looking at spread between an- looking for evidence of spread between animals and humans, which we know is a risk factor. Um, so, you know, the concern is that perhaps uh, adequate resources weren't dedicated to that type of surveillance, but the work was being done, and there are a whole you know, army of people uh, who work in this field. And I don't want to turn it political, but you mentioned the policymakers. And does that sometimes seem to get in the way of the scientific aspect of it where there seems to be too many hands in the pot that are trying to take, I don't want to say control, but are, are taking a look at the situation and thinking it has to be done one way when others might think it has to be done another way. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's pretty clear that we cannot um, make progress without policy, right? We need policy to help inform investment into things like developing drugs and diagnostics and other public health measures to fight epidemics. And so as a physician, I view this as a purely public health health issue, not a political issue, but the policy policy is made often by politicians. So there is an intersection here that we have to work with. And I think that the key is to figure out how to do it as well as possible and keep as focused as possible on the scientific and the public health aspects of this. And do you think that from what we've experienced so far that the lessons that we have learned now, even such as simple lessons as sanitizing and health issues and, you know, being more aware of things like that, do you think that they're all going to continue to move forward or is it going to be another, well, we have a vaccine now and we don't have to worry about that anymore, kind of like the flu? 
Well, I very much hope that we will take what we've learned and and continue to move forward. And, you know, people like me, people in, in a number of groups are invested in this. And I, I really uh, very much hope that we'll see good progress in our preparedness efforts. And this really affects not just our public health, but it affects national and global security, right? If you look at the economic and other impacts that have happened already because of COVID. So I'm hopeful that that impact will resonate with the policymakers and the people who invest the funds so that we'll see progress continue to move forward. And you mentioned the mental health aspects as well. And now, of course, more people are dependent on their social media and computers and getting away. So I I think you certainly, Dr. Boucher, have your work cut out for you. Is there anything that you would like to leave our audience with as your final thoughts? Well, Paul, I think regarding COVID, I think the most important thing for the next 8 to 12 weeks until we get through this dark winter that we're facing are to double down on those mitigation measures. Wear a mask when you're with anyone with whom you don't ordinarily live. Wash your hands. Watch your distance. Avoid crowds. And stay home when you're sick. This is hard work, but we know it works. And so this is how to keep yourself and your family safe. Thanks once again to Dr. Helen Boucher, the Chief of the Division of Geographic Medicine and Infectious Diseases at Tufts Medical Center for joining us. Next on Special Edition, we're going to learn all about the Wright Center, the different locations, and the many health programs that are available there. Desiree Natale will join us and give us a background of the Wright Center as well as all of the programs that are available. Then we'll meet Tina Zukowski. She's also with the Wright Center and she's going to give us lots of information about one particular program, especially for those who might need guidance in choosing Medicare and Advantage plans. Don't go away. They're next on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. Now we're going to learn all about the Wright Center. They have a location in Scranton and in other parts of our area as well. First, it's Desiree Natale. She's the Director of Healthcare Innovations at the Wright Center to tell us about all of the programs available there. Desiree, we hear so much about the Wright Center. And a lot of people, though, don't know exactly the entire scope that you folks are dealing with up there. Plus, you're adding on to more of it. So let's start by having you give us a just kind of a tour of exactly what someone would find when they reach the Wright Center. Thank you, Paul. You're correct. Um, here at the Wright Center, we are here for our community. We have multiple, multiple services and we have multiple sites. Um, I'll start with saying that we're located in Scranton. We have a site in German, Clark Summit, Holly, Wilkes-Barre, and Kingston. We're open 365 days a year. Some of our offices offer later hours. Um, We have multiple services available to the community. We have primary health. We have behavioral mental health services. We offer addiction and recovery services, dental services, which would include exams, fillings, extractions, oral care screenings, dentures, and more. We also have specialty services like infectious disease clinic, our Ryan White HIV program, rheumatology, sports medicine, 
We have an Alzheimer and dementia clinic, which is a newer program that's up and running with our geriatric program, which our doctors would work with your primary care doctor and do a thorough 90-minute visit, which would include your medical history, go over your medications, and come up with the best plan for you. Um, We also focus on lifestyle medicine, just being healthier, eating healthier. The folks that we see at the Wright Center be our primary care physicians? Correct. That's where you would start. We're accepting new patients at all locations, um, so you would just make an appointment. We accept most insurances, including Highmark, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Medicare, Medicaid, CHIP, um, Geisinger, Cigna, Aetna, um, pretty much all the local insurances. So you would start with primary care. We also offer services if you're uninsured. So if you're uninsured and you don't have a doctor and you're not sure what to do, you could reach out to us. We will do everything we can to help you get insurance. So we would first start with if you would qualify for Medicaid. There's also marketplace insurance. We could assist with that. And also our center offers a sliding fee discount program. So if you fall within the guidelines of the federal poverty level, there's different levels in which you would qualify for discounts. So if you're at 100% qualification, you could come in for a primary care visit, and that would be $5. For dent- basic dental services, that would be $10 if you qualified at 100%. If you don't qualify at 100%, you could still qualify for an 80% discount, a 60 a 40%, a 20%, and that's regardless if you have insurance or not. So that can help a lot of families. That can help a lot of the elderly. If you have co-pays, if you have just straight Medicare where you're responsible for the 20%, if you qualified at 100%, you would still pay $5 for every visit. So that's a huge program that helps with our community, and we're so happy to be here and offer it. I did not realize so much went on behind the doors of the right center. Right. You could have a family with three, four children, and if you have to bring them all into the doctors at a $20 copay per person and you qualify at 100% or 80%, it would be $5. We would give you 80% off the copay. So there's a lot of help here offered. We can even go as far as if you are struggling with your bills, with your heating bills, with food, we could provide services to help you get assistance with all of that. So we're not just here to be primary care. We're here for everything. So if you're a busy mom that's working a lot and you need to get all your kids in for their well visit, but they need to send the dentist too, Um, We would do everything we can to make that appointment so that you wouldn't have to take multiple days off of work. We could do it all in one day. I'm really put aback, Desiree, because I did not expect so much uh, dental. December, we we opened up our Scranton location. That's our newest location. And we also offer our dental services up in German. All of these services are available. And it's it's interesting as well that you're into Luzerne County being in Wilkesbury. Correct. We are in Luzerne and now we're also in Wayne. We just opened our newest location, I believe, in August up in the Holly area. As you expand and you are finding more uh, things that can benefit the community, you mentioned uh, behavioral health and you men- you also mentioned the seniors. So are you finding that in those areas that you're opening that that's becoming more and more of a population? Especially currently with the pandemic, um, mental health, I think that affects all of us. 
so that is a big program that we have and we see a multitude of patients and I think everybody is struggling a little bit right now. So if there's anybody out there that does need help, we are also accepting new patients for all of our programs at this time. And that includes the geriatric program. That's a newer program that's up and running with the geriatric where our providers will work with your primary care. They give you more time. They spend 90 minutes with you and they go over all of your medical records, all of your medicine, and they try to come up with a plan um, with your primary care that would be the best care for you. And as we stated, we're also with the Alzheimer's and Dementia Clinic where we're starting to give evaluations for that, for people needing assistance with those types of programs. And am I also seeing that you even have caregivers, a caregiver support group that is also involved in, because that in itself is, is amazing. Yes, we have community health care workers and they, they are the workers that will work with you if you're struggling financially, if you don't have insurance, if you need food, if you're having um, problems with your electric bill or your heating bill, they're available to help with any applications that you may need assistance with. It really becomes, you become a one-stop shop. That's exactly what we are. And we're not just here for the underserved. We are here for our entire community. So we're trying to get word out there of everything we can do. We know people are busy lifestyles and we offer so many services and we're just here for everyone. When you're also talking about and you mentioned the um, COVID-19 pandemic and the behavioral health services, is that something that you would just be able to come in and say, I'm experiencing anxiety, I'm exper- or do you have to be referred to any of these programs? No, you could just call and make an appointment. You could call the right center directly to make an appointment. They also offer the telehealth visits if you're having trouble to get into our office. Um, maybe you're scared due to COVID and you're scared to go to doctors. We do offer the telehealth also. If you don't have an appointment and you feel you need to see a doctor as soon as possible, you absolutely can walk into any one of our centers and we would fit you in. The other thing I'd also like you to touch on a little a little bit is the uh, Ryan White Clinic, because I don't think that many people know about something like that existing in our area. Well, the Ryan White Clinic is located here in Scranton, and that's for people living with HIV. We offer many, many services to our Ryan White patients. Um, We help them with their medication support. We can help them um, with case management. We have advocates for them. We could help them with their oral health, um, provide the same services that we provide to all of our patients. And we do have a we do have a website. Our website does list all of our services. It lists ways to contact us. We, it's therightcenter.org. So anybody who is listening, they could go there and any of the topics I touched upon, they could find further detail. And again, let's just talk a little bit because uh, I, I mentioned Wilkesbury Kingston is where you also is has where you have an office as well. Correct. Correct. Clark Summit, German Scranton. And then Kingston and Wilkesbury, and the new one in Hawley. Correct. Wow. And currently, um, and currently, even with our Kingston and our German location, they're offering Saturday hours, and German also does Sunday hours. 
So if you're someone who can't get to the doctors during the week and they also stay open a little bit later. Desiree, if you can, just let everybody know another one more time who you're welcoming in, um, how they go about doing that, because you have so much to offer. I don't want anybody to think that it's just for a certain group of people here or a certain group of people there. No, we are here from for everyone. We even offer pediatrics. So you could come to us from newborn until you're elderly. We're here for our entire community. There is no one set group that we're here for. We would love everybody to come. We're one big family here and we would love to take care of your family. All right. Anything that we've left out that you want to make sure our listeners know about? Just that we provide integrated care. We offer multiple services. We're here for anyone in the community and also that we do have the sliding fee program available. So if you're someone who typically will shy away from doctors because you can't afford the bills, even if you just want to reach out and talk to us about the program to see if you qualify before you make an appointment, we're here for you and we will do everything we can to help you. Thanks again, Desiree Natalie, Director of Healthcare Innovations at the Wright Center. Now we meet Tina Zukowski. She's Associate Vice President of Revenue Integrity, also at the Wright Center. Desiree told us about some of the programs that are available there. And if your questions are about Medicare and Advantage plans, Tina is the lady you need to talk to. Tina, it's that time of year again. We're seeing those commercials They're telling us about Medicare, Medicare plans. They're telling, and now we have all of this new stuff with Congress and they're taking, I don't know, Tina, you're going to have to help us out here. Thank you, Paula. So first of all, um, yes, now is the time for uh, patients um, to be looking at uh, whether you're going to stay with Medicare. We'll start with Medicare first. If you're going to choose a Medicare Advantage plan, um, you're seeing lots of commercials out there where they're showing you things that they're covering, lower premiums, et cetera. Uh, some things that people, patients need to consider when choosing, uh, if you're going to choose a Medicare Advantage plan over keeping your straight Medicare Part A and Part B, is what is your out-of-pocket cost going to be? What are your co-pays going to be? particularly looking at primary care co-pays, specialty co-pays, looking at high-end radiology. How much are you going to be paying for an MRI, for a CAT scan? What about if you need to be in a skilled setting? For the first 20 days, normally the, um, the cost is covered under straight Medicare when you get into what I refer to as the 21st and 100th day where there's coinsurance applied with straight Medicare. What is your cost going to be for a Medicare Advantage plan? The one thing you kind of have to consider when you're looking to change insurances is that, you know, right now you may be healthy, but something can happen and you may end up in the hospital or God forbid you may fall and you might need to be in a skilled setting and what is your out-of-pocket going to be? So you kind of really have to do a very good analysis of the plans that you're looking at, what you're changing from, what the cost benefit is, and what ultimately could it be costing you out-of-pocket? Like, you know, if you had to have radiation, what is your cost going to be per treatment? Then we'd start looking at another hot topic is your pharmacy, your drugs, your prescription plans, your Part D plans. You need to look at all of those Part D plans and also figure out the drugs that you have, what your cost is going to be, what your donut hole is, what you're going to have to pay out of pocket. So there's a lot to consider when you're 
looking to change insurances, especially from straight Medicare Part A, Part B to a Medicare Advantage plan. If you're staying with Medicare Part A and Part B, it's always good to research a secondary plan to pick up your coinsurance, the 20% Medicare coinsurance, and also to make sure that your skilled days are covered um, and make sure that all of the services that you would end up with a 20% coinsurance would be covered at 100% and know what your out-of-pocket is going to be. Tina, I'm tired. You've just you've just exhausted me with all that. So the, then the, those people on TV and those 30 second commercials make it seem all so easy to, to make a decision. But how far in advance before you turn 65 should you start looking into this? You should be looking into it several months before you you are eligible for Medicare and start doing your analysis and writing down you know, the services that are you're going to have to be paying out of pocket if you're going with the Medicare Advantage plan, what Medicare is covering, um, do your comparison for a secondary plan to cover the 20% coinsurance for Medicare. There's a lot of planning involved, and it's not very easy, and there's lots of things you have to consider. Because one thing is, is that as we age, there are certain plans, secondary plans, that are age-based. And your premiums can be very high when you decide to, if you decide to change later in life. So really, when you're ready to to start uh, preparing for applying for your Part A and Part B, you really need to do your research and really think about it. Because again, you certainly can change from Medicare to a Medicare Advantage plan anytime, but you also need to be aware of what your out-of-pocket could be if you end up having to be hospitalized or something happens. What do they do in order to get all of this information? I would definitely reach out to, to Medicare, and then I would also start doing some research on some other plans that you may be interested in and getting that information from those plans and then kind of sitting down and mapping out and doing your analysis of looking at each plan, what the costs are, what the premiums are, what your out-of-pocket will be, and see what's going to be beneficial for you and what you can afford at that time as well. And you say at that time, and earlier you said you also have to be able to plan ahead. So if you take, go ahead, you're, you were going to say something there. No, and you're correct. You, you you have to look at the whole picture, and it's not. This is not a very easy decision to make um, for anybody um, because when you think about it, you're looking at it right now. You're 65 and you're healthy, but then if something happens, you also just have to be prepared that if you have to, if you're switching from straight Medicare to a Medicare Advantage plan because the premiums are cheaper, and you're thinking, you know, um, I can afford this, just. You know, you also have to kind of think if something happens, am I going to be able to afford if I have to pay the first five days in a hospital? So, again, you really it's important, I think, to visually put something down on paper and kind of map them all out so that you can see where your costs are going to be, where you're out of pocket, what your premiums are, and then make that evaluation um, that best fits your situation. Where do pre-existing conditions fit into all this? My understanding right now that um, the pre-existing conditions, their most plans do not, from what I'm hearing, okay, they're not, um, that's not really a requirement. Now, there are plans, there can be plans. Let me say this. There can be plans that may have that clause in there, but 
those kind of plans tend to be very, um, very few and far between, but they're not your normal that you would see on TV. I've seen some people come in with certain, with the pre-existing condition, it could be a clause in a, in a cheaper plan that may not have a lot of benefits. But right now, the way it stands is that everybody should be covered. They should be covered with the pre-existing condition. I have not heard anything differently. You know, some plans out there that when you're getting um, health insurance, high blood pressure is a concern or, mm-hmm. you know, different things like that. Right, right. Yes. And it's important. And that's a very good point. I mean, that's something you want to make sure that you're going to be covered regardless of what your current health condition is. I mean, that's a very, very good point. Let's say that you're working and once you retire and you to go 65, then you're going to go into the different insurance. Might you have to give up your physician? You shouldn't have to. What you need to do is check with your primary care physician. They should, and they will let you know who they're par with, which insurance plans. But you should, you should not have to give up your primary care unless you're, unless the plan is specifically saying you have to pick somebody within within their group. But patients have the choice of who they should go to. A lot of the insurances that we see are local. But what happens when you have people who share their time between here and someplace else and they're carrying something that they don't have um, a facility or am I getting now into the Advantage plans? Um, you could be getting into the Advantage plans and um, and I think you might be tiptoeing a little bit on anybody who might be out of network as well. Right. And, and I think that's another valid point is to make sure that you, in the plan that you're choosing, that you have out-of-network coverage because if you're traveling or maybe you want to see a doctor that's out of the area, you may want you may want to make sure that you have that availability and it's a covered service. We have Medicare, right? We have A and B, and now we're getting something else? Patients have the opportunity to choose between whether you want to keep your Medicare Part A and B or if you want to choose a Medicare Advantage plan, which, you know, offers, they have different services that they offer. The premiums can range. They can have deductibles. They can have co-pays. So it's really up to the patient if they decide that they want to change from traditional Medicare to a Medicare Advantage plan. They have that that choice. So does that get rid of Part B? No. Okay. What happens is there. What what happens is if you're choosing a Medicare Advantage plan, your Medicare Part A and B rolls over into the Medicare Advantage plan. Okay. Makes it you're like actually eligible. If you have Part A and Part B, you're eligible to choose a Medicare Advantage plan. If you want a lower premium or, you know, you choose it because of the premium or the benefits that they offer, the services, et cetera. Okay. So the Medicare by itself might not necessarily offer everything that adding the Advantage plan would. The Medicare Advantage plans have to cover at a minimum what Medicare covers. So patients should never receive anything that's covered by Medicare should be covered by the Medicare Advantage plans. The Medicare Advantage plans can offer additional services if they choose to. And for instance, they may offer dental service, they may offer hearing, um, maybe there's something for the elderly to for exercise. So the Medicare Advantage plans have to at a minimum cover what Medicare, traditional Medicare offers the patients. Anything above that 
um, is their option to do. And again, it could be dental services. It could be hearing, symptom transportation. I mean, where do the meds fit in then? So the medications will fit in under a Part D plan. And actually, all Medicare patients, whether you're and a Medicare Advantage plan, can offer a Part D plan through their plan. If they have traditional Medicare, they, there's other plans that they can pick. But it's very important that the patients make sure where their current medications fall on these Part D plans, how much they have to pay out of pocket, and make sure that they're covered. This is all well and good, but now we have the marketplace. This year, it is a little bit different where Pennsylvania has their own marketplace, and it's called Penny. Mm -hmm. And patients can go on and they can look and see what they qualify for and what plans are out there. Um, Again, what's important when you're out on the marketplace is to look at your premiums, look at, like you mentioned earlier, your primary care physician. Are they par with that plan? And also look at your out-of-pocket. You need to look at what co-pays you're going to have, what is your deductible, how much do you have to meet, what's covered, what's not covered, do you have preventative services covered, are vaccines covered. So there's lots to look at to ensure that what you're paying for in your premium, you're being, it's, 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 covered, it's a covered service. Someone travels. Is that something that is able to go to another state since it is Pennsylvania-based? So what they would have to, again, so this would be one of those where they would want to check if they take a plan through the marketplace in Pennsylvania. They just need to make sure that in that plan that they have out-of-network coverage so that if they are traveling, that those if they needed to go to the emergency room or, you know, if something happened and they were hospitalized, that those services would be covered, which if they were hospitalized, they would be. But if they needed to go to an emergency room or those services should be covered be part of their plan. So where can I get some help? Well, here at the Wright Center, if we have any patients have any questions, we have resources here that we can help on the marketplace. We can help if they need, if they qualify for medical assistance. We can, you know, we have resources here to help whoever has any questions or difficulty in trying to figure out insurance and what to pick and, and what does it all mean? And sometimes it's best to, to sit down with somebody and talk it through. We can't, t- we can never tell patients what to pick, but we're here as a resource to help them understand what they're looking at or what they're reading so they can make the most appropriate decisions regarding their insurance and their health care coverage. When is the deadline for all this? So for Medicare, for any Medicare patients, it's December 7th. For Penny, it's January 15th. Tina, how do we get in touch with you? You can call the Wright Center and ask for myself or for Desiree Natalie. And the number is 570-343-2383. And we are happy to help and guide anyone that has any questions regarding choosing um, an insurance or needing help with the marketplace or just trying to obtain care here at the Wright Center. We're here to help and we have the resources. Thanks once again to Tina Zukowski, the Associate Vice President of Revenue Integrity at the Wright Center, helping us understand Medicare and Advantage plans.
Next, on Special Edition, we meet Peg Ruddy. She is with the Women's Resource Center in Scranton. Besides telling us about all the programs that are available through the Women's Resource Center, they also have a special request from the community for gift cards this holiday season. We'll hear from Peg next on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. Getting ready for the holidays. For some, joyful and looking forward to it. For others, it can be very stressful, especially if they're already having stress in their lives. Peggy Ruddy is with the Women's Resource Center and tells us where you can turn. Peg, it's always nice to talk with you. So let's just have you give us a brief overview of the Women's Resource Center. The Women's Resource Center is the um, agency in Lackawanna and Susquehanna counties that provides life-saving services to adults and children who are victims of domestic violence and sexual abuse. Basically, we're here to provide 24-hour crisis intervention. We do counseling. We also have a housing program where we can assist survivors of violence to get out of a harmful relationship. Uh, We also have a civil legal uh, center where we can help uh, survivors in court, uh, as well as a teen dating violence prevention program called Safe Dates. We want, we're out in the schools teaching kids how to have healthy relationships. Let's start with the kids angle of it. You know, we always think of it as, as women, but you're talking teens here if you're in the schools. Yes, we're, we're in seventh grade, eighth grade, and ninth grade. And unfortunately, Paula, at that age, there's certain students that already have attitudes, you know, that are harmful towards, um, you know, their intimate partners, you know, potential, you know, uh, later dating partners, I should say. So, you know, we're looking at, you know, kids who have already adopted, uh, you know, attitudes that, you know, are really disrespectful. That must be tough, though, when you're dealing with that age group, because you're trying to fit in, you don't want to say anything because then somebody might not like you. Exactly. Oh, there's a lot of peer pressure and that's part of the program. Uh, We actually are out in the schools for 10 weeks. It's really remarkable though, how insightful these kids are. You know, we've learned a lot from them and they're very open. You know, we had one student say, you know, if I see something bad going on and I don't do anything about it, am I part of the problem? Um, And so, yeah, yeah, that was a ninth grader. So we're really happy that they're very engaging with us and that we're actually able to teach them and help them to educate one another about what healthy relationships look like. Maybe they're hearing things at home. There's definitely, uh, you know, domestic violence is a learned intergenerational problem. And so, you know, there's definitely situations that we come across where there's kids in homes where there are violence. And so what we do then is we have a counselor available to speak with them and help them safety plan outside of the education program. Again, it's relationships and the changing relationships, Peg. Predominantly, uh, Paula, is a gender-based social problem. And the majority of the uh, survivors that we see at the center, which is true across the state, are women. However, as you know, um, society changes and people change, So uh, are providing services to men. We also provide services to, you know, the gay and lesbian community, as well as, uh, you know, an individual that might be transgendered. So unfortunately, domestic violence 
hits all of those populations. Do all of the people contact you the same way? Before COVID, individuals contacted us either through the hotline or maybe if there was a police officer at their home or perhaps if they had to go to the hospital. Now, because of COVID, we have a situation where we are primarily doing our work over the telephone. We have bought tablets and we've had the community members donate tablets to us so that we can actually provide services virtually. And and I always like to point out your website because I think that is probably one of the most innovative things that I have ever heard of. I might be on the website looking up the Women's Resource Center and my batterer comes in the room. I can hit an escape button and that way, you know, that person doesn't see you know, what information I'm researching. What would you suggest that they do if they if they are, and I'm going to say it, in fear? And, you know, Paula, you raise a really good point. Not all domestic in, uh, violence is physical. You know, we often hear from survivors that the emotional abuse and the verbal put-downs are very damaging emotionally. Um, and sometimes that's how it starts. And so we encourage people to call us anytime. We're available 24 hours a day you know, to talk through their options, to, you know, offer them support, you know, and all of our services are free and confidential. And now I guess we need to talk about, well, hopefully happiness and happy holiday seasons. But I would think that in the area that you're dealing with, sometimes that can also work to the reverse. Uh, Yes. You know, there's a lot of expectations as a society that we hold around the holidays. And there's also a lot of times that people have time off. Um, and oftentimes domestic violence is about access, you know, um, so that if the survivor and the abuser are home together a lot, you know, that could create a problem as it relates to, to abuse. And so unfortunately the holidays are no different, you know, than, than any other day really where, there's, you know, partners where there's intimate partner violence, you know, that are together in the home, that that, you know, tension can escalate to physical violence. Some people hearing this for the first time may be saying, hmm, that might sound like something that's going on, not necessarily in my world, but someone close to me. So what would be something that before you would even reach out that maybe you should consider doing? Well, the first thing that you should consider doing is, you know, maybe, you know, getting on our website or calling our hotline and getting some information about abuse and how, you know, what, what does those, what are those dynamics? You know, how is that person, you know, involved in, in that dynamic? And then if it's someone, you know, is to be able to reach out and not to be afraid to reach out to them to say, you know, um, I'm a little worried about you and there's help available. That can also cause an escalation. So right, that would have to certainly be done in confidence. You yeah, know, you wouldn't want to have that conversation um, in any other setting but a private one. And when we're talking again about the holidays, and and sometimes it's uh, a mix of people that are getting together. Oh yeah, yeah, and you know, at that point, you know, uh, it's about you know just helping to make sure that the survivor, you know, is safe or can you know get away if if there is an escalation of the violence. And then it's not only the mix of people, but there could be a mix of other outside influences. And that's, we turn to alcohol a lot of times. 
Well, and a lot of times, Paula, um, there's a belief system that alcohol causes violence, and, and that's just not true. Um, you know, if you take away the alcohol, you just have a sober abuser. However, what is true is that alcohol does add fuel to the fire. You know, so if someone has the propensity to be violent in the first place, um, you know, alcohol certainly makes that more dangerous. Do you find that a lot of the the people that you talk to spend most of their time trying to put on and keep up an upbeat persona? Both domestic violence and sexual abuse are, are crimes that are often hidden and that people are embarrassed to talk about and want to you know, have the world think that everything's good. In our COVID world that we're in now, a lot of times people are spending more time at home. Do you find that you're hearing from people that maybe that's causing some of the frustration and some of the escalation? Uh, Yeah, yes, definitely. And, you know, the economic um, strain certainly adds more fuel to that fire. Um, One of the reasons that, primary reasons that survivors don't leave uh, the home is economics. And so if you add in the economic strain that has been happening over the last eight or nine months, you know, it certainly can escalate the problem. I had a uh, conversation not too long ago with Amy Everett's and sure. she's awesome. Well, every, everybody, everybody at the Women's Resource Center is, is wonderful. But she was giving us a little bit of insight into something that um, I get a lot of questions about when I talk to folks from your organization and other organizations. And that is why people just don't leave. Well, number one reason, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is money, economics. You know, where are they going to live? Um, apartments or in affordable housing is very difficult to come by. Oftentimes, they have the hope that the abuser will change. There's fear. You know, what, what's that person going to do if I do leave? They threaten to take the kids or they threaten to harm me more. You know, so there's some very significant legitimate reasons why people just don't leave. And then there's also the follow-up question of when there is abuse, wouldn't that be enough sometimes? Oh, absolutely. And to give you an example, in our housing program, we're able to provide financial support to assist someone with getting an apartment and helping them through a couple of months of rent. And 85% of the survivors that go through our housing program go on to live a life free from violence. We're very, very proud of that. We haven't gotten any of your information as far as contact is concerned. Could you share that with us? Sure. The best way to get a hold of us is through our crisis hotline, and that number is 570 Three four six four six seven one. We also have a website, wrcnepa.org. What I would like to mention to the listeners out there is because of our COVID world, it's been particularly challenging with us trying to assist survivors with um, holiday gifts. And so what we're doing is we just initiated a uh, gift card drive so that we want to support local businesses to get gift cards and then we can do safe exchange with survivors that we can get them the gift cards and then they can go and get, you know, a couple of gifts for their kids. So how do we get involved in that? Call our business line. And you mentioned Amy before and mm-hmm. she's running the drive. The business line is 570-346-4460. You can also just mail them to us at post office box 975 Scranton 18501 or you know we can make arrangements to to pick them up we you know like the community to know that we're really looking for some support this year and do you have a cutoff date I think December 20th would be great because that would give 
you know, um, several days for families to do some shopping. Uh, we have a Facebook page. If you look up Women's Resource Center, uh, Northeastern Pennsylvania, there, there's also an opportunity on there to um, make a donation towards the gift cards. COVID-19 has changed many things, including car seat checks. But PennDOT's Mike Toludo tells us they still want kids to be safe. Well, this is going to be online, so you can either FaceTime Zoom. Uh, we'll set up an appointment with uh, uh, with you. And that's going to be through December 18th, where child passenger safety technician will, your, will be available to review your car seat and pa- offer parents and caretakers and necessary adjustments for safety. This will give you the opportunity to ask questions and to help you to modify and make sure the, safe, the seat is in safely. So then when technicians could check your seat when everything gets back to normal and you, you could uh, come in and get your seat checked. To show them on their phone exactly what they're doing and maybe guide them through that way? Oh, a- a- absolutely. That's the purpose of it. It gives them answer any questions or to guide them through through the proper installation. Absolutely. And how does somebody make a reservation for this? And they could call uh, Kathy Connors, which is in charge of it. She's in charge of the Traffic Injury Prevention Project. 570-471-3026. That's pretty innovative. Yeah, and and the whole goal is to make sure the child is absolutely safe in the car. To find out what age groups and what kind of seats you need for what age. Maybe expecting to give one as a holiday gift, kind of ask the cor- the correct questions. Oh, absolutely! To make sure you get the proper one. And there's also, if you're a low income and can't afford a car seat, you could check with your local children and youth organization to see if they could provide you with a car seat. Kathy said she would send you out a little gift from Santa Claus for the kid. So it'll be a little token to say that you called up to Santa Claus it gives like a candy cane or a puzzle or a coloring book. We usually have that in Santa Claus in person, greet the, greet the kids. But we can't do it this year because of COVID-19. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories, a production of Intercom Communications. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.